This episode of the Ready Room is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com/trekfm. And also by TrekFan. TrekFan isn't just a Star Trek fan club; it's a challenge. You will explore new places, learn new things, and collaborate with other fans to solve puzzles, complete real-life mission objectives, and win great prizes. And in the spirit of an enlightened future, Trek Fan is absolutely free—not just free to play, but completely free. Find out more by visiting fm.trekfan.org. I'm Jeff Combs. I'm everywhere on Star Trek, and you keep tuning in to Trek FM. Welcome to the Ready Room, show number one hundred forty-seven, upsetting the whole percentage. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me this week is Matthew Blondine. We'll be talking about some Star Trek news, including the March twenty fifteen release of TNG season eight, what fans want to see in the next Star Trek film, and in questions from the fleet, we delve into how best to grow the franchise. Then in the feature, we're joined by Sebastian Pruth to discuss the Enterprise episode, The Communicator. So let's step into the ready room. Hello, Matthew. Welcome to the Ready Room for the very first time. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks for having me, dear Chris. Yeah, it's good to have you on. I don't know if our listeners know, but you've been editing some of our shows. And now finally, you're on mic here to talk about Star Trek with us on the Ready Room. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's different. I got to be honest <laughs> uh, with the number of shows that, uh, you know, on Trek FM and uh, other audio productions that I do do edit it's it's a nice change of pace for me to be now in front of the mic and uh, voicing my opinions uh, for our audience yeah it's a lot of fun it's always it's great to just sit down and talk about star trek for a little while and we've got a couple of interesting things to talk about here today Mm -hmm. before we get to the feature where sebastian pruth is going to join us and we're going to talk about the communicator from Enterprise and how it follows up in a sense to a piece of the action from the original series. But before we do that, let's talk about The Next Generation. There's a new story that's been going around the last few days, which I'm sure people have seen, that TNG Season 8 is coming in 2015, but not to Blu-ray. This is an officially licensed book from Gallery Books that is about the Twitter account TNG underscore S8 the satirical eighth season of TNG on Twitter. Have you followed this account, Matthew? Actually, it's funny that you mentioned this. And when you sent me the information for tonight's show, um, I recently started following them on Twitter and didn't really pay too much attention, didn't really know that much about what it was until I started reading about it. And then was like, wow, this is going to be very interesting. And let me jump into into it right away. One of the things that 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 got to me was we don't we we've shared the experience of these characters for seven years and more now with the Blu-rays and DVDs and and stuff. Now let's look at another facade. 
of these these characters and in a satirical way and i think what's being proposed here uh is really interesting i like what they're doing with it because i've been following this account for years now since um I don't know if it was since it started, but pretty close because I have been following it almost the whole time we've been doing the ready room, I feel like. And they they do these really funny things and doing them in 140 characters is is difficult mm-hmm. to fit in the, the plots that they set up. My favorite one is still, it's one based on the account and they had someone, I can't remember the artist now, but I remember when this came out, they did cartoons of them. And there is one of Picard and Riker climbing the side of a mountain, and the mountain has a face, and the mountain is angry. And then in the foreground, you have Data doing some, I don't know what he's doing, it's like creepy thing with his hands, and he's got his back turned Mm -hmm. to Geordi Mm -hmm. and Geordi's (laughs) girlfriend, who has this look on her face like, this is the most disgusting thing (laughs) that she has ever seen. And the caption says, Picard must debate a sentient mountain to distract it while he and Riker climb to safety. Geordi's new girlfriend despises Data. And so you've got the A plot and you've got the B plot (laughs) in the season eight tweets and in, in that case in the little cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's it's really well done. Like, uh, it's it, it's just funny. And finally, we get some some more funnies funnies tidbits. Uh, what would happen if you know Jordy yeah. would do this or or right. Data? Uh, just like the the other cartoon that I I saw, which I really really love, where Data's falling asleep at the helm. Uh, a tactical and he's counting sheeps, but he's not, he's an android. So obviously the sheeps are Borg. So, uh, okay. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So that, that one was, uh, was pretty cool. And, uh, and then I guess the, and the, the, the one that I really, really love is how many lights you see. That one really was funny because you still have the, the, the Picard, you know, being with the obsidian order saying that there's only four lights that he sees and the four lights are four disco balls. Oh, <laughs> okay. I think I remember that. Yeah. Oh, that's man. awesome. Yeah. So this book is by Mike McMahon who runs the TNG season eight Twitter account. This account has, I checked the number of followers they had before we went on the air and they're currently at 86,800 followers. So it's incredible. Wow. Yeah. It's been highly successful. There have been other accounts like this. You know, people do TOS Season 4 or the animated series Season mm-hmm. 3 and other things like that. I think I've yeah. even seen a Voyager Season 8 one. But the TNG Season 8 one is the one that's really gotten the traction and that people really follow. And what I was surprised about in reading this story is that this is an officially licensed book. This isn't just them putting together some book on their own. This is going to be a licensed thing. And it sounds like they're going to be doing it a lot like the TNG companion or the DS9 companion, Mm. this type of thing where they're going to have plot descriptions for the episode. So they're going to have to really expand these beyond the 140 character tweets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But better than that, they're going to have trivia. They're going to have new and old aliens. They're going to have set <laughs> photos as well. 
and behind the scenes look at the troubled production of TNG's eighth season. Oh wow. <laughs> that's gonna be weird. Oh yeah, that's gonna be awesome. That's I love the set awesome. photos. That's the part I really like. You <laughs> can actually have photos from the production <laughs> of TNG season eight. So, yeah, it's gonna be interesting. Definitely be interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> McMahon said about the book, what was the aim of the book? He said, I thought it would be fun to create an artifact from an alternate version of our universe, a tongue in cheek guide to the production of an admittedly silly season of TNG. I had a great time taking the tone of the jokes in TNG Season 8, the Twitter account URL, and applying them to the expanded format of the guide, which gave me room for crazier episodes, dialogue, trivia, and plenty of Riker. I hope fans enjoy laughing with Geordi, Data, Worf, and good old Barkley as much as I enjoyed writing their antics. (laughs) <laughs> that's gonna be it's gonna be fun it's really gonna be fun you know seeing it a, a different side of, of these people these crews and and just the fun that you can have with being satirical and yeah oh yeah that's it's gonna be a nice book to have it's gonna be a must-have it sounds like a challenge too because expanding these out into full-length synopses of episodes because it's silly to start with It is easy to jump the shark, right? It is easy to get carried away and go somewhere where it's maybe not really that funny anymore. So it's going to be interesting to see what he's done with it. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, like you're saying, like it's, it's it would be too easy to go too far. And yeah. that's I don't think he wants to go way too far. I just so right. yeah, it's going to be hard for him, but it's going to be interesting. Let's toss out a few more here that the Trek Collective pulled out of the Twitter stream just to give people a taste in case you aren't familiar with this account. Spock visits the Enterprise to give Data a special gift. Geordi's miffed that Spock never remembers who he is, gets really pouty about it. (laughs) Also, a holodeck error populates the Enterprise with Ice Age beasts. Barkley gets trapped in the dividing hallway as the saucer section separates. So again, you've got your A plot and your B plot there. Yeah. (laughs) Also, Wesley's nanobots are dying, filling the Enterprise with gray sand. An hour into his wedding, Geordi realizes his bride is a hologram. (laughs) So is that the one that's giving the evil eye to... uh... Could be, could be. Maybe <laughs> could be. Well, if she has a mobile emitter because they're outside. Oh, definitely. Yes. Oh, that is correct. <laughs> possible, possible. Well, that's probably so, why she's giving the evil eye. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever he's doing over there, it's really creepy. Yeah. <laughs> no, what's going on? So we'll yeah. put a link in the show notes to this article over on the Trek Collective, and you can check it out, find out more, and watch for this book coming from Gallery Books in March of next year. All right, let's go on to the next thing here. Matthew, this is a story on io9, mm-hmm. and it's about what we want from the next Star Trek film. The article's by Lauren Davis, but it pulls together things from various people about what they would want to see. And I've pulled out the first part of the article, which yep. is a list credited to Dwight Sora that reads, What I would like, but will probably not get. Okay, so this is in the next Mm, Roberto Orsi-directed Star Trek film, which I call Star Trek 2016, Mm -hmm. not Star Trek (laughs) 3. 
<laughs> Let's see how close this mirrors what we want. So what is the first thing on Dwight's list? So the first thing that we see is an alien planet we've never seen before. All right. Hmm. And how do you feel about that? Uh, I definitely would love to see uh, an alien from it that we've never seen. Let's explore something different. I think that we've already done the 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 fans and the the, the you know the purest Star Trek fan. We've told them, okay, see, we're keeping Star Trek in the same line as everybody. We're tweaking it a bit with a different timeline, but we're we're keeping it in line with what you know to a certain degree. To a certain point to appease you guys. Now we've done it twice. Now let's move on. Right. And and I think they, they have the perfect opportunity now with the new timeline, uh, the new relationships that the old new relationships that the, the, the cast and the, the characters are having. Let's move on. Let's meet something new. Let's show me something new. And that's I think that's what 20, uh, the 2016 version should have. Right. And this is what's being hinted at by Orsi when he says that they're going out into deep space and the media mm-hmm. has been largely reading into that, that the next film is going to be the closest to the original series yet. And it's going to be true to the original Star Trek. And he hasn't really said that. Actually, that's a lot of people reading things into yeah. what he said. But I actually think that's where he wants to go with it. So I think that there is a good chance that we'll see an alien planet that we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Especially uh, if it's in the five-year mission, because well, we left the thing, off, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we left off. So let's let's see something new. Let's see. And I think we were we're basically hitting one and two because two she he's basically asking an alien life form we've right. never seen before as well. So I think the planet and the alien life form together uh, are really something that we should have, right? Uh, especially with the deep space five-year mission. Let's uh, let's see somebody new. Yeah. Yeah. And number three is an alien civilization we've never seen before. So one and three really do go together. Two Mm -hmm. can go with them, although two could also be an alien like Tin Man or something like that, what we encounter out in space that we we don't actually need to visit their homeworld in order to that is true. That, yep. That's possible, you know, or yeah. or it could just be a ship we encounter as well. Yeah, with normal yeah. humanoid uh, characters. But so Definitely. I don't know. I'm I'm not as skeptical about this as Dwight here seems to be. I I think that there's a good chance we could see this. I hope so too. I hope so too. I think we're like I was saying. Uh, we're we're at that point. Uh, I mean, we we've seen the Romulans. We've seen the Klingons. We've seen the Ferengi. Uh, we've seen these aliens for years and years and years and years now. Can we get something new? And uh, for the purists out there, I think they will agree that yeah. we've we've seen them enough. Let's give me something new. I want something new. What would something, especially with the new timeline? Yeah. So it's an open door. Uh, Orsi can do whatever he wants right now. Well, he really so, can. The question is, yeah. will he? Right. So, oh, that is correct. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Number four is our main characters thinking their way out of situations. Now, this one, I also really, really want to see because that's what is so interesting about Star Trek. It's mm-hmm. not that it's just an action flick. It's that there's actually some deeper message and thought process behind it. Yeah. Now, Dwight here, this is on his list of what I would like, but will probably not get. And I don't know, I kind of agree with him here. 
I mean, I've been reading the comics, which are overseen by Orsi, and they're much better than the films have been. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm still not seeing this thinking their way out of situations, which you may think, well, it's comics, you're not going to get that. But that's not true. You actually mm-hmm. do get that in comics. So I'm also thinking we're probably not going to get that type of deep element. And, and I tend to agree with you on that one because just as looking at all the the movies that are coming out recently, uh, there are a lot more action-driven. And I think the audience are asking for that type of movie. Yeah. They want action. They want battle scenes. They want people getting you know, kicked and, and get into action. And the thinking part is, is more back in the nineties, back in the two thousands, where we really actually as a society had to think of, of a lot of stuff. If we think of 2000, what do we have? We had the bug, the 2000, the millennium bug. Oh yeah. A lot of people were thinking, you know, and I'm, I work in computers. I'm a, I'm a <laughs> the developer. And that's one of the things that, that we had to do is think of how, to solve this this issue, so I think a lot of the movies, a lot of the 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 shows that we had back then, were yeah. in that in that thinking of solving the situation. But now it's more no action pack. Let's go. Let's let's go guns guns blazing and get over it. Yeah, and with Star Trek, it's very noticeable because no one was better at thinking themselves out of situations than Kirk and Scotty yeah. in particular. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely, and uh, even Jordy. Uh, you got to give it to uh, to Jordy oh, a couple sure. of times. Yeah, and, I mean you can go through the Miles. later series oh, and you yeah. find them, but with the original series, yeah. that's oh, what yeah. you expect from Kirk, and that's yeah. what you expect from Scotty. You don't expect. I mean, I actually like Simon Pegg's take on Scotty, yeah, but it's different. That's not you don't expect Scotty to be the comic relief, right? You expect him to be the miracle worker. Yeah, well he. You kind of get that. You still get that in 2009. Uh, unfortunately, Into Darkness, uh, we don't get it because he is not really in it other than at the end. And it's still action pack. Yeah. He's still thinking, but he's doing the same thinking as 2009. It's quick thinking, quick reaction, situation, mission, resolve it, action pack. Not as much as like you were saying in TOS where it was, uh-oh, something goes wrong. What do I do? Oh, I can do this. Yeah. And it'll or take especially me f- in the TOS films. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, it'll take me two hours, but in reality, it just, just takes one because you always yeah. double your double. Well, just you to quadruple be a them. So if it's an oh. hour, he's going to take four. <laughs> Quadru- I, thought it was, I thought it was double. I thought it was uh, no, he double multiplies the time. them by a factor of four. Yeah. Oh, that's what I should do with my boss then. You should. Yeah. Is, uh, <laughs> I've, always, I've always taken Scotty's advice on that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's what I'm doing after my vacation. (laughs) Number five on the list, reasonable attention to scientific fact. Not expecting 2001 or gravity, but at least something. And this is a big one because Star Trek, especially on the television series, they have science advisors around and they they actually Mm -hmm. try to keep things reasonably realistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not to the point where they can't have fun with the future, but... Mm -hmm. The Abrams verse so far has been ridiculous. You've had red matter. You can mm-hmm. get to Kronos in like four hours. And then you can actually transport yourself from Earth to Kronos with a personal transporter. There's just like no yeah. no yeah, that's, that's... thought whatsoever given to any sort of scientific realism in these movies. And I think that will continue. 
Yeah, and that's it's unfortunate. It's really unfortunate because you're right. Uh, they have to come back down to reality, the Star Trek reality of things and science, like the the, the transwarp uh, transporter from the 2009. It was a far stretch. It was really a, a stretch. And I was like, oh, come on, give me a break here. <laughs> right. But but yeah, I, I I agree. And especially like the warp, like from Earth to Kronos in four hours. No, come on. That's, <laughs> no. that's and, and I guess that's the purist in us coming out, right? And saying like, come on. And we're picking, we're nitpicking here. <laughs> well, but it's true though. We have to come, the, the next one has to come back down to Star Trek reality of science. Yeah. The thing is for the general movie going audience, that wasn't an issue. So what if you can get to Kronos? Mm-hmm. Like that, no one cares. It works fine for the story, yeah. or well, you can transport I'm... from Earth to Kronos. But they're making a Star Trek movie, and so yeah. Star Trek fans are going to go see it, and all of those people are going to go, "Huh, really?" Uh, yeah, and that's that's where they're they're you know I think that's what they're the reboot. That, that, well, I think everybody's uh, is in agreement with this. Is the reboot was to attract the purists, the fans. And yeah. any additional fans that never actually seen a Star Trek movie or or TV series or, or episode and trying to uh, uh, grab them in. But then now you've done that. It's basically, okay, JJ, you've done that. Thank you very much. You did a, a very good job. Now let's, if we're going to continue on for a couple of, a couple more, uh, more movies here, let's come back down. Let's, right. let's, you know, like let's, let's come back down. You've, we've got the fans. Now let's let's give him realism here for for a second. Well, the next thing on the list, number six, action scenes that further the story and reveal character and are not gratuitous. This I very much want to see because Mm -hmm. I really got bored in Into Darkness towards the end of the film. The whole reenactment of Anakin and Obi-Wan fighting on the lava, floating lava from Star mm-hmm. Wars, reenacted on these little ships, garbage things flying over San Francisco. Yeah. was yep. too much. Yep, yep. It was pointless. There was no point in having any of that in the movie. Now, I'm sure someone can come back and argue, well, no, there was a point because they had to subdue Khan. And then, but no, there were other ways they could have done that. They wanted to have action, they wanted to have yep. them flying around, yeah, and jumping it, it across was... things. It was. It really was. It wasn't merit. I I totally agree with you. They could have done something different. Spock could have come down with a hypo spray or something and knock him down, hypo spray him, come back up, or or something different. So something intelligent. You know, something uh, that they could have thought of, like like uh, that Dwight brought up. You know, there's a situation. Let's think a better way of getting out of this situation, and yeah, let's bring it. So. Yeah. Yeah, but but I have a feeling we're going to get more of those types of action scenes because yeah. again, they're making a movie and the studio wants to make money in mm-hmm. the theater. This is why we need Star Trek back on television so that we have the time to tell the stories and Yes. If we want to have yeah. action scenes, we can work them in so that they actually make sense within the story. Yeah, definitely. Well, luckily for us, we we always have the the audio dramas to help to to That's appease, right. you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the last one, no time travel. Uh, okay. It seems Dwight here is saying that he thinks that we will get time travel because this is on his list of what I would like, but we'll probably not get. 
I don't think we'll get time travel in this story. Yeah, I, think, I don't. I don't think so. Yeah, um, they've done it. They did it two films ago. Yeah. People who who write time travel stories, they know that you can't go to that well too frequently, or else mm-hmm. it the audience will tune out. So I don't think yeah. we'll have time travel in this movie. No, no, and I think I think this the, the 2009 time travel that we have, which set our our entire timeline now yeah. uh, is enough. I mean, uh, we've said it, and I don't foresee uh, the the only the only thing I can see is them coming back and fixing the timeline. Uh, yeah. It's like no, then then you, you would lose me. Like definitely, nah, yeah. that's it. Yeah, definitely not. So I've nope, seen a I, lot of people who say that's what they should do. Oh but, no, no, no. But no, I disagree. No, no, no. I don't think that's what they should no. do. I don't want this to be looped back into the prime timeline. I just want to oh. see this as a separate yep. timeline that's separate. So I still have my prime timeline mm-hmm. and this has nothing to do with it. it it's a new sandbox for people yeah. to play in, uh, you know, so why not uh, take advantage of this? It's a new sandbox. Go ahead, guys, you know, have fun. I think that what Dwight might be going at here though is a concern about Roberto Orsi because if you go back and you look at Lost even well mm-hmm. you've got time travel so there's there's this tendency for them to go to time travel it's yeah. almost like a crutch in story writing but I but I don't think that they'll do it no I hope not I hope not you know it's it's like um, also if I want to if I could add just one for me that I don't want to see uh, you know, if I can add to that, is piggybacking on what's been done, right? Uh, like you know, two thousand nine. It's we we're setting the uh, everybody together. That's fine. Now into darkness, we got Khan coming back. Then we have all these. Okay, spoiler. Uh, all the uh, the. The similarities to Star Trek Two in there, sort of piggybacking on that. <laughs> Don't uh, you mean replaying it with a the, with a different a twist? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that for the next one, and on top of it, 2016 is the 50th anniversary yeah. of Star Trek. So I, I mean, we have to do something original, uh, not piggybacking, and. A mirror, mirror, mirror universe. Uh, I'm sorry. I have to say no, it though. Let's don't do mirror, mirror universe. But <laughs> here, here you go. What you but, said yeah. just gave me an idea. And this, I'm going to okay. add one myself that I don't want to see. You said 50th anniversary. Let's do something. Why don't we bring back all of the cast from all the past series and have them oh. all do a giant cameo in the film? <laughs> oh, no, no. No, because no, no, you know my, what's... <laughs> that, that's that's the one I don't want. I don't want to see any cameos in this next no. movie. I don't want to see William Shatner. I don't want to see Leonard Nimoy or anybody else. Keep this separate. Unless there oh. is a reason that makes so much sense that you have to do it, I mm-hmm. don't want to see cameos. Oh, I totally agree. Totally agree. I think, uh, you know, I don't want to diss anybody from the, the previous casts, but they've been there. They've had their time in the spotlight. It's now time for this new cast to come out and shine for, for Star Trek. And there's so many people out there. There's so many actors, great actors that are out there that can reprise, like could do roles. And there's so many story, like I was saying, right? There's so many stories and open canvas right now that they can do whatever. For me, it's not, it's not even that. It's just that it feels artificial. It feels Mm -hmm. shoehorned in. To somehow, like a crotch. 
make a connection or try to legitimize this universe or reasons like that, which I don't, yeah. I don't like. I liked Leonard Nimoy's appearance in 2009 because it made sense for the story. I mm-hmm. hated Leonard Nimoy's appearance in Into Darkness. Yeah, it kind of felt odd. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it, take that away. Could they have done it differently? Well, yeah. um, you know, def- I think they could have done it differently, definitely. It did help in a sense, but in another sense, yeah. You're talking about an Into Darkness? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, yeah. Oh, yeah, it, yeah. I don't think it helped. I think it hurt the movie. It was, it made no sense for them, for Spock to be able to talk to the other Spock to find out yeah, about yeah. Khan. It was almost like it was there to tell the general audience that mm-hmm. this has been done before in another yeah. movie about Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, yeah, definitely. It's like when you leave the theater and people are cursing and screaming and demanding their money back and you're wondering why because you're not a Star Trek fan but you came to the movie, mm. we explained it in the movie for you. <laughs> yeah. Of, it was like, oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> definitely. And and now that you're talking about it, I'm realizing even <laughs> even more that it's useless because even, even if a Spock goes to, okay, young Spock talking to old Spock, well, the... Old Spock's con is different from young Spock's con. Exactly. Um, yeah. I'll try saying that ten times fast. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So even even if the old Spock says, you know, oh he's evil, don't you know, don't trust this guy. Yeah. Well, it's not the same guy. We're not talking about the same exactly. person. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, definitely although, did, although did hurt. It did apply, but still. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll put a link in the show notes to this article on io9. We pulled out Dwight Sora's list of seven items, but there's a lot more in the article, uh, quite a lot mm-hmm. more. I think that's only like a third of it. Uh, Lauren talked to other people as well and got their thoughts yeah. on it. So you can go over and read that and find out what other people have to say. All right. Well, let's take a break from our news stories for a moment to tell you about our first sponsor for today's show. And this is Trek Fan. Trek fan, it's a Star Trek fan club, but it's not what you're thinking of. It's not an ordinary fan club. It's actually a challenge. It's a place where you can go and meet new fans, new people, and explore new places, learn new things, and collaborate with those fans to solve puzzles and complete real-life mission objectives, and you can win great prizes. They have a thing that we told you about on the show here previously called Starfleet Academy, where they will send you a random Star Trek novel absolutely free, And then when you're done with it, you give it to a friend and they read it and then they pass it on. You don't need to send it back. You just need to review the novel and send that over to TrekFan because they're compiling a list of or a a resource of book reviews. But they have a lot more for you to do over there as well. They have qualifications in areas like flight operations, engineering and communications. And you can learn to do new things there and actually get licenses like Samuel Cummings, who is a member of TrekFan from Michigan. He did the the qualification and got his technician license. So, I mean, how many Star Trek fan clubs can you join and get something like that? So there's so many things for you to do there. And they have lots of clever challenges. They reward the curious and the active. That's basically the approach of TrekFan there. And you can learn to fly airplanes or create codes or write clues. They're going to, you know, hide secrets all over the world for you to uncover. It's a really great way to put your love for Star Trek into action. And best of all, it's absolutely free. If you want to join TrekFan, just go to fm.trekfan.org and sign up. Again, it's free. That's a special URL that lets them know that you heard about it here on the Ready Room. So be sure to use that 
fm.trekfan.org. It's a really, really interesting resource, and I really encourage you to go check it out. We really thank TrekFan for their support of the show and the network. All right, Matthew, we do a thing here on The Ready Room from time to time called Questions from the Fleet. And Mm -hmm. this is where we ask our listeners to just send in whatever question they have about Star Trek that they would like for us to talk about here on the show. And listener Gene Russell sent in a question to us. And he writes, Sometimes I worry about the future of Star Trek. I think, what can be done to improve the health of the franchise? Maybe it is all in my head. Then I think about Star Wars. Obviously, the two franchises are very different. But I think that one of the things that has kept Star Wars so vital over the years has been the excellent use of merchandising. My children, who do not have the attention span to sit through an entire Star Wars movie, still know all the characters through the action figures that are perfectly marketed to their age group. So finally, my question if you could be in charge of Star Trek marketing, what would you do differently? I think that Gene makes a great point, Matthew. Oh, he does. He does. And I, I totally agree with him. My, I don't know about you uh, if you have uh, children. Um, I got a six-year-old and a two-year-old. Uh, well, close to three. And they know Star Wars Clone Wars. Like they're okay, back at their yeah. hands. They know the they they'll they'll see my uh, my um, my uh, my books that I have on my uh, on my table. They're Star Wars books right now, but I am reading some Star Trek also on the iPad, and they're they're like they know oh Clone Wars that's what it is. They know the character Rex. They know Anakin Skywalker. They'll know Obi Wan, uh, Yoda. Uh, they know it by heart, and yeah. where I think they're they're getting it is not only the, the Star Wars Clone Wars, but Lego. Just look at Lego, the you know Lego Star Wars. Uh, now there's the, the Yoda Chronicles, uh, Lego, right. all of that. That's so. If I was in charge of Star Trek marketing, uh, not to copy, but I think sometimes you have to copy uh, what's successful. And that's where what I would try to do is is mimic a bit of where Star Wars is heading yeah. and do try to do the same. Get you know not just the the adults that have kids in us that watch Star Trek, but get the kids, get the the young guys right uh, interested. I think it, it's hard to fix this problem now, and I, I actually yeah. do see this as a problem for Star Trek in a way because. So I I was a kid when the first Star Wars movie came out. So I remember when Star Wars premiered and I remember Mm -hmm. getting all the action figures. I remember saving up the proofs of purchase from the boxes so that I could send (laughs) in and get Yoda when the Empire Strikes Back came out (laughs) because they didn't Mm -hmm. sell this Yoda in the store. You had to send in and you got back a Yoda with like a little felt shirt on or whatever he was wearing, a, a coat. And he had Mm -hmm. a little plastic snake around his neck and everything. And Star Wars from the very, very beginning used merchandising to raise awareness of and to support the film. Mm -hmm. And that's why Star Wars, despite having very, very little material, I mean, there's for many, many years, there were three movies. So we had basically six hours of content. For Star mm. Wars. Now, I'm not counting the Christmas special. 
of course. <laughs> but we had these three films, and yet Star Wars was so famous all over the world. Everyone yep. knows these characters, and it lived on year after year, decade after decade, with no new material until mm. finally we got the new trilogy, episodes one, yep. two, and three. And of course, that highlighted where you can go wrong with this as well, because episode one was clearly created for merchandising. I mean, the film, it's its a giant commercial mm. for merchandising. Yeah. Yeah. And I think George Lucas sort of misstepped there because what he ended up doing is that he created something where they could market the hell out of this movie, but he he lost a lot of the fans in the sense that the story wasn't great and yeah. it felt disjointed. So you had to be careful in your approach to this. But because Star Trek never was successful in merchandising the way Star Wars was, it's kind of hard to do it now, unless you start out with the Abrams verse, which we were just talking yeah. about. <laughs> but that's not really Star Trek. It doesn't mm. capture what Star Trek is. So I think there's something fundamental about the fact that Star Trek is about social commentary and science and really delving into deep issues affecting our society today, whereas Star mm -hmm. Wars is mythology. It's, it yeah. takes place in space, but it's not science fiction. It's, myth, it's classic mythology. It's yeah. the hero's journey. It's just classic right out of mythology. And that's another reason why it endures so much as well. But so yeah, definitely. You have to take a different approach to merchandising those things. I think it's easier to market and merchandise Star Wars than it is Star Trek in that sense if you're going to try to to reach children. I was happy to see the pop-up books that they did recently for Star Trek though because there is some effort being made to to reach children. Oh, I didn't see those. No, I didn't see those yet. Yeah, they're making a little bit of an effort there, but yeah. It's difficult. I think that what we see with merchandising of Star Trek right now, though, is that it's very much, let's get the money from the people like me, the people who are mm -hmm. in their 40s or people who are in their 30s who have grown up watching Star Trek and they have some disposable income to spend on merchandise. Mm. So let's create stuff that they'll buy, which isn't necessarily the same as growing the audience through merchandising. Yeah, and I think that's where they're they're missing the mark, yeah. and, and it is hard. I, I totally agree with you. It is very very hard uh, without having the ease of showing the the young audience what Star Trek is. Yeah. Uh, I think they've tried that with Star Trek the animated series. You know, I've, but those I gotta be stories honest, were still, I've never seen them. Yeah. yeah, it's still it's the still stories grown were still up. grown up stories. Yeah. yeah, so I think what the, the I think if they want to get to a point is I think and I think actually um, the uh, TNG season eight would be a good starting <laughs> point. Be. And I, I, you know, if you think of it, you know, take the satirical uh, satirical stuff that people are putting up, and then saying, you know what, Let, if we take that, put it into cartoons, and and yeah. do it for the kids. You know, so that they can do, so. and I think they could, they could eventually grow up and like get the start. But also, you have to keep that little message. Yeah, you know, you well, can always give it. Something. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I don't think that it needs to be satirical, but I think they no. need to do a series that's like the Clone Wars, which which you mentioned. Yeah. I think that's a great 
analogy, they need to do a series like that that's appealing to a younger audience, but can mm-hmm. also be appealing to an older audience as well. And, yeah. and that and would be I would, great for the health of the franchise in the long term. Oh, definitely. And especially we're two years down the road from the 50th anniversary. Uh, Star Wars is now releasing Rebels uh, yeah. in September or something like that. So it, it, I think it would be the prime time right now to start a thinking of it and to doing it. Yeah. Uh, so that you pave the way to the 2016 release of the movie and anything and the 50th anniversary and, and stuff. I mean, just look at, um, I'll take uh, the example of Doctor Who when they did the 50th anniversary. Allons-y! Doctor Who is, you know, for the kids and us, uh, older guys, but still, they they did a very, I think they they did a very very good job in promoting the 50th anniversary. Yeah. And unfortunately, we're two years down the road, and I'm afraid. I I'm I'm really really afraid of the, what's going to happen with the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. It does feel like you would be hearing. A few more rumors if something were coming up, right? Oh, like real definitely. rumors, not the kind yeah. of rumors that we've been seeing floating around yeah, right definitely. now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, Gene, thanks so much for your question. I hope we answered it there and I hope you um, enjoyed our thoughts on that. And for everyone else, if you have questions about Star Trek that you would like to hear us talk about here on The Ready Room, just send them to us, questions from the fleet. You go to trek.fm slash contact and on the form there, you'll see an option for questions from the fleet to the ready room and just send us anything, anything you want to know about Star Trek. And we'll talk about it here on the show. All right. Thanks again, Gene, for your question today. Well, that's all we have in news for today. Before we jump into the feature, there are two quick things I want to tell you about. First is our reviews promotion. Reviews are very important to us here at Treka Film, not only because we love to hear from you and hear what you think about the shows, but because they also impact how we place in iTunes and on Stitcher. And we know it's not always easy for you to leave a review because you're listening to the show elsewhere. You're not at the keyboard at the time. So as some added incentive, we're giving away some great prizes, including a season of Star Trek on Blu-ray or DVD of your choice, an official Starships collection ship from Japan, Star Trek books of your choice, also a full collection of our alien art badges. And all you need to do to enter is to review one of our shows. You can review as many as you want, but of course you can only review each show once. Do that on iTunes and or Stitcher between now and July 31st. And each review you leave will get you an entry in our drawing. Winners will be drawn at random. And there are two steps for entering. First is to leave the review on iTunes and or Stitcher. And second is to visit trek.fm slash review and complete the form that you find there. We'll ask for some information about you and where you reviewed the shows and which shows you reviewed. And that's all there is to it. It's very simple. Again, this runs until midnight Pacific time on July 31st. And we look forward to hearing from you and thank you in advance for your support. And also, I'd like to tell you about our other sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. Audible is the best source for audiobooks that you'll find anywhere We tell you about them every single week. They have over 150,000 titles for you to choose from right now. It's really incredible. I have hundreds of those in my library as well. I've been a member for 14 years now, which is kind of scary, but that shows you how great they are and how much I love them. And Matthew, what we like to do here on the show every week for everyone, because it's a Star Trek show, is to recommend a book that they can pick up and to recommend a Star Trek book. And the book I'd like to recommend this week, Matthew, is 
the novelization of All Good Things, this might seem like a strange one because if you watch the episode, why would you need to read the book, right? Mm-hmm. But I find novelizations interesting because sometimes they fill in gaps from the episode because the stories have to be condensed down to fit into the allotted time on television. So there are certain details of the plot or the characters, certain conversations and such that get cut out. And the novelizations are a great way to fill those in. In fact, the novelization of Into Darkness, which they also have on Audible, fills in a number of things that help that movie make a little bit more sense. Mm -hmm. So if you would like to get the novelization of All Good Things or Into Darkness or any other book that you want to listen to, you can get it absolutely free as a Trek FM listener. If you go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up for the trial, you can choose one of those books or anything you like. And if at the end of the trial you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose because you get to keep that audiobook. That's yours. But if you love podcasts, you're going to love audiobooks, and there's no better place to get them than from Audible. So support the show, support the network by trying Audible. Again, audibletrial.com slash trekfm is the URL. Be sure to use that one. And we thank Audible for their support of The Ready Room and the network. At the end of a piece of the action, Dr. McCoy reveals that he left his communicator behind in Oxmix's office. It's essentially laughed off, and the Enterprise continues on to its encounter with a giant space amoeba. Kirk says that with that kind of technology, the Iotians might one day win a piece of the Federation's action. But what are the actual repercussions of such an accident? This is a question that Enterprise tries to answer in the second season episode, The Communicator. Like McCoy, Reed returns to the ship minus some tech. Only, it isn't brushed aside. Today we're going to discuss the episode, and to help us do that, we're joined by another member of the team behind the audio drama series, Star Trek The Continuing Mission, Sebastian Pruth. Sebastian, welcome to the Ready Room for the very first time. Hi Chris, thanks so much. It's fun to be here. Yeah, we're glad to have you here. Well, before we jump into the discussion of the episode, here's a quick rundown in case you haven't seen this one or haven't seen it in a long time. Archer, Reed, and Hoshi are coming back up from this pre-warp planet that they've gone down to to investigate, and I'm doing air quotes there, and we'll talk a bit more about that as we go along here. But they get back to the ship, and Malcolm realizes that he forgot his communicator, He left it down on the planet. They search all around for it. They can't find it, so it's really gone. They decide they can't leave a communicator behind because if they do, they're going to contaminate this other culture. So they go back down to try to retrieve it. They take all kinds of other technology with them as well. And during the process of trying to find the communicator, they get captured by one side of a war, a conflict that's going on. And... This side thinks they are spies and then later engineered soldiers for the other side. They're held captive. They are interrogated. They're going to be killed. And the rest of the crew up on the ship 
doesn't want to lose Reed or Archer, the two that went back down. So they mount a rescue mission. In the end, they save everyone, but people on this planet witness a firefight with phasers, legs coming out of, of thin air because of the cloaked Sulaban ship that they use for the rescue. Archer does pick up all the technology and the files with the x-rays of their bodies as well, brings it back up to the ship. But you have to wonder what happened in that culture. And again, that's something else that we'll talk about today. So in a nutshell, that's what happens in this episode. Now, this story is in a sense a follow-up to a piece of the action. Not a direct sequel, but just the idea of what happens if you do leave your communicator on a planet that you have visited. Sebastian, why don't you jump in, kick us off here. What do you think about the basic premise of this episode? I think it's a really, really cool question for Star Trek to ask because they're always going to all these planets and interacting. There was an episode at the beginning of Enterprise called Civilization Mm -hmm. where they went to a planet and found that there was a guy who had a warp core there and he was making everyone sick. And they're always having these interactions with people who are Uh, less advanced than them. And it asks the question, what happens if your cell phone falls out of your pocket? You know, that's a big problem. I mean, it's going to change everything for them. Because if you went back in time and handed William Shakespeare an iPhone, and he just happened to have a signal and could use it, he would be blown away. He could look himself up on Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. You know, he'd be able to see something that was way just well it reminds me of the doctor who episode where they go back and charles dickens is there and he's doing a christmas carol and then he finds out that he will become famous one day Hmm. i haven't seen one moment of doctor who but that sounds like (laughs) a fun one (laughs) but it is and they did it they did it also with shakespeare oh yeah Mm. yep well what about you matthew what do you think about the premise of the communicator well, similar to what Sebastian was saying is um I'm, I totally forgot about the the episode in, in TOS when McCoy comes back and goes, oh, man, I lost my communicator. Well, it's easy to forget and, because it's just like a, it's the TOS haha ending, right? Oh, I left my communicator. Yeah. Well, that screws yeah, up the whole yeah. percentages. <laughs> Upsetting the and whole then, percentages uh, yeah. is what it does. So. <laughs> yeah. And but now taking that that little little thing and saying well what would really 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 happen if something like that would be there and especially especially during a, a conflict you know we're we're hearing a lot of conflicts right now with the ukraine and, and iraq and all that right now what would happen it answers that question it actually doesn't really answer but at least it gives us a good whoa wait a minute yeah so what would happen today and it raises the question of whether or not Starfleet, especially in the Enterprise time period in the 22nd century, should they be going down and mingling with these cultures in the first place? At least in the next generation with like Rivash Jakara. This is like Rivash Jakara beta edition. He he goes down from first contact, the episode first contact where Riker is Rivash Jakara. But they're there because this society is on the verge of achieving warp travel. And that's a point at which the Federation may come in and say, hello, there are other people out here in this galaxy that you're about to enter, and we want to help ease you into this transition. That kind of makes sense. But 
this planet that the NX-01 has visited, they haven't even split the atom yet. They say it in the episode. They're not, there's no reason for the Enterprise crew to be there other than, oh, look, another culture. Let's go down and check it out. Let's go to the tavern. Should they really be doing this in the first place? No. I don't think so. I, I got to be honest myself. I don't think so, especially that uh, one, we're still in the pre-prime directive. They're still getting their feet wet. Um, they're, they just got the, the warp five. Uh, and they don't even know how to use half the technology that they have. I mean, we're not, they're not even using the uh, transporter as much as, or as they should. Right. They're still using the shuttlecraft right there. And then that, I think that should have raised a couple of flags to say, mm, I don't think we should be doing this, but it also comes down to basic curiosity of the human nature. Yeah. You're curious. It's new. You want to know. You want to find out. They're like kids in a candy so, shop at this point, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. If like my two my my two year old. Exactly that. You know, it's something new. She wants to see it. She wants to go for it. And don't even try to stop her. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, um, something that kind of pops out to me that you said, Matt, was you know, it's pre prime directive. And I think that's the whole point here. Because the Federation and Starfleet are still very much, well, the Federation doesn't exist yet. Starfleet is still in its infancy. And all the rules which are developed over the course of probably many, many mistakes of an organization are still, you know, those mistakes are still being made. The big blunders, leaving your communicator on a planet, well, that probably uh, spawns a new law in the in the Starfleet yeah. about not doing that. Just as when Titanic sank and there weren't enough boats on board for everybody, the new law was now all ships must have a boat for everybody on board. And that is probably kind of the thing that's happening with Enterprise because they're so new, they're out there, like you said, kids in a candy shop grabbing every flavor they can see and uh, to hell with the consequences because uh, they don't really know what the consequences are, which is why T'Pol is always kind of going, hang on a second. Are you sure? We Maybe they're not interested in visitors. Maybe we should wait. Maybe it's not Manshara class. She's always saying we should wait. Right. And probably because of these reasons. Well, here's a transition for you. So they have all these devices on Enterprise that they can leave behind like this. So there's a transition from this to the comm badge that's pinned to your uniform so it can't come off. And the transition is that in TOS, for tricorders, they've got a big strap so you can hang it off your neck so you can't lose it. And then they go on and say, okay, let's just, let's just pin this onto your shirt. Then you can't leave it behind unless you intentionally take it off and slam it down on the table to make a point. <laughs> well, the thing is with the communicator, though, in Enterprise... That was sort of a before the evolution into Kirk's thing, right. which yeah. was, by today's standards, ridiculous. Well, they made Kirk's bigger. That way, it's harder to lose. Like, you know, that's not on you. You know. <laughs> <laughs> if you lose this thing, you'd probably be wondering, as I hold up my iPhone for the webcam, you know? Yeah. It's too light. Yeah, you can you can easily forget your iPhone, right? Mm -hmm. Especially when you leave it on a black table. Right. I have the same problem. Yes, my, my desk is very dark hardwood. And so when my black iPhone is on it, I will sometimes, and my eyesight isn't great. So I will walk around and where is my phone? It's right in front of me. 
<laughs> yeah, I've done the same thing. I don't know about in the tavern, though. I mean, was that the problem? Was like the tavern, the the tables, Reed couldn't find his communicator, or just gets lost on the table? Well, if you think about it, maybe maybe he went in there and he sat down and he was wearing sort of an overvest. Maybe he took that off. Maybe it was a little warm mm. and the pocket it's in, doesn't have a zipper and it fell out. And you know, when he picked it up, he thought it would still be in there and it just fell on the floor. You know, we're, we're, we're writing mm. stuff that wasn't written. <laughs> we should ask, we should ask Andre Bormanis uh, what, what was in his mind and when he was writing that. Scene. Well, this is what goes into our head canon here on the network, Sebastian. I mean, we have, most of our episodes, as they play out in our headcanon, really typically run about an hour and 12 minutes. There's so much other stuff that happens. I've never heard yeah. the term headcanon before in my <laughs> life. That's interesting. <laughs> well, we did actually, uh, Sebastian, we did actually talk about it quickly in, on, on Skype uh, before we, we jumped on here, and which was, they go, you know, they, they come back to the ship, and they, they go through decon, and then... That's where Malcolm goes, oh, shoot, where's my communicator? Um, so they try to find it, go back down to the ship, and then that's what I raise as far as the issue. is like, well, wait a minute, time out here. You're going back because you lost something. And what do you bring with you? Well, I'll bring another communicator. I'll bring another <laughs> and <other> tricorder. <laughs> and, other, and on top of it, let me bring a oh, face pistol. Why not? <laughs> Like <laughs> because it made for really cool shots. Right. And he's I know. like, does this belong to you? And then when they cut out, he's tapping it on his hand like, what is this thing? You know, it's <laughs> those are great shots. And if he didn't bring a face pistol with him, he wouldn't have been able to have those cool dramatic shots. Oh, de definitely. And then that, that's where, the, you know, the TV aspect comes in, comes into mind. But then when you're looking at it, on at least my part, is when I'm looking at it, I'm going like, What? Like, come on, why, why are you bringing this? You've already did, ah, come on, think well, here. They, they really did just about everything wrong that they could possibly do wrong here. First of all, they went down to the planet. They left something behind yeah. and they went back to retrieve this one item. And as you say, Matthew, they took so much other stuff with them. But even to Paul, to Paul pages the planet, yeah. like blindly. <laughs> you, she, I mean, they wanted to... to figure out where the communicator was located. So it was sort of like, I guess you have to do it. But for her, it was sort of an odd move because she had to know that it could be in the hands of someone on the planet and they're going to be hearing her voice, which is, of course, exactly what happened. And and yeah. then yeah. to top it all off, they come down in a cloaked <laughs> ship, <laughs> roll up the hatch. You see people's legs dangling in the air and they have a... a like a five-minute firefight with these aliens. I don't know yeah. what else they could oh, yeah. have possibly done wrong <laughs> other than bringing, bringing them up to the ship, which is what Archer kind of thought about doing at one point. I don't think he ever seriously considered it, but he was just thinking, like, what if I do bring them up to the ship? Well, I'll have a laugh about this. Yeah, it was it was actually funny as I was watching the the, the episode. I was like... Okay, I and I know, I know, Sebastian, you're going to say it, and it's all made for TV. I mean, if we if they didn't do it, why bother doing the episode? But still, you have a transporter. Just try to find two, they, you know, two humans amongst I don't know, gazillion people that are alien to you, and go, hmm, here they are. Beam them up. Just set it to problem solve. Red blood. 
flip, flick the yeah. red blood sensor on the truck. The there transport. you go. <laughs> well, one of the things that I thought would have been really fun with that episode was they needed a final moment scene that after seeing Archer and Paul, and she says, you would have died. I would not have expected that. Then we go back to the planet and General Gosis and the Colonel, they're all sitting around a table looking at plans for a face pistol. See, yeah, you could have had that, although I, I'm glad they didn't do that because I think the ending is much more powerful with just what T'Pol says and that's it. But I do, as we'll talk about later, think that this episode does demand a follow-up because... Yeah, they probably did. They were sitting there, I'm sure, doing exactly what you are saying. The the, the other thing I was going to add to that was the wonderful thing about the end of the episode was Archer goes back into the room where the phaser, the tricorder, the communicator, and the x-rays are. Yeah. And he takes everything. And they just stun everybody. So really, nothing actually happened. They were never there. There was never an x-ray. It's only in their minds. It's like an Area 51 kind of thing. Like only certain people, right. like only certain people have it in their memories and everyone else is just like, oh, that could never have happened. <laughs> you know? And on that planet, there is a very popular television show all about that mystery. It's called Galaxy <laughs> Quest. <laughs> the historical documents. And I guess the only thing missing would have been Hmm, here's a weather balloon. Yeah. That's what showed up. <laughs> that would have maybe that would have been a cool ending too. Maybe there should have been uh them making a newspaper printing of an excuse <laughs> for what it had been. And General Gosis with a beard in retirement going, that wasn't what it was. Nobody believes me. <laughs> well at least we know one thing if you want to get shot you don't want to get get killed just get your arm cloaked right and there you go <laughs> speaking of the arm cloaking this is one of the, uh -huh. the moments that when Flox brings trip the glove and holds the glove up to him did you hear the little tos music it was just like mccoy saying something to spock and then Spock being kind of arching his eyebrow and McCoy kind of chuckling. And there's a da -da 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 little TOS music going. It's exactly how I feel in that scene. You know, I, I, when I watched that today for the first time in a while, and he's got his arm cloaked after being blown away by this overload of the cloaking device on the, on the Helix ship, I was just kind of going... How the heck are they going to actually explain this? So now cloaking devices aren't devices. It's something which spreads. And this right. never happened before. But then again, LeVar and um, Roe in TNG, they had that problem. They were they, put they got, out of phase. They, they, got, yeah. they put out of phase. But it was a phasing cloaking device. Okay, yeah, because that's not really how a cloaking device operates, as far as I understand. No, it, right? You're as far as I knew, it was energy like to prisms to, and yeah, right. something to, to bend light, or... light around the ship, and that was not right. how it looked like it was done with Trip. And then I thought, well, that's kind of cool. And then they had the whole scene. It was kind of like the comic. Yeah. It was the sea story, yeah. so it wasn't terribly um, visited that often. And then he's like, here's a glove. Why don't you just wear a glove? 
And I was thinking, why doesn't he take the glove and the sleeve off when they beam down and just have a phase pistol <laughs> moving around? Oh, that's a good idea. Around. I like that. <laughs> like that thing in TNG, that gold, that gold thing that shot at them from uh, yeah. in, in, oh, in yeah. the jungle. Yeah, yeah. Oh. But how good is Connor Trenure when Travis says, oh, that, that would come in handy on movie night. And he looks at him and says, yeah. you know, if you want to steal some popcorn or something. And then the look that Tripp gives Travis is just pure gold. They're like, yeah, right, Travis. <laughs> You're the guy who I set up there in the sweet spot with and talked about the three-breasted aliens on whatever planet that was. And Travis is like, yeah, it's true. First hand, second hand, <laughs> third, third hand. hand. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I know where you're going with this, Travis. <laughs> well, I think that uh, Connor, though, he was the strongest actor that Enterprise pretty much had. Him, uh, John Billingsley, Scott was pretty awesome yeah. at times. John Billingsley is But Connor, sure, yeah. Connor is just... Oh, he's fantastic. He's, out of his, yeah. he, he's amazing. He is. Yeah, Tripp is my favorite character from Enterprise, and it's largely because of Connor Trenier and the performance. I'm a Scott Bakula fan. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, Scott Bak- a lot of people, I don't want to go off on this topic on the show today, but a lot of people don't like Scott Bakula as Archer. They feel like he's not a good captain or it's portrayed too stiffly or something, but I, I think he played it the way it should be played. You know, he's the first captain. Stuff's all new to him. You shouldn't expect him to be Kirk or Picard. Or Janeway. He had a couple of scenes early on in the first few episodes where I was like, this man who is in his 40s should not be behaving this way, even if he's never been to space before. But uh, he quickly matured into this diplomat, Picardian kind of role. And he, I I don't think Scott could have played him any better. And I can't imagine anyone else playing the role. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. While we're on the topic of them going down to the planet still, before we get too far away from that... What do you think about these prosthetics? So on The Next Generation, they do the surgery and such. And if you go beyond that, when you get into the novels, they actually develop a holographic technology where they can make themselves appear as an alien race, even though they're not actually doing any kind of surgery or prosthetics. Uh, they use this in Death in Winter, for example, the, the book where they're off in another world on a medical mission and Beverly gets captured and everything. But here, this is the, it's like the, what do you call them in the States? They're like the, the stick-ons, the like decals. You just <laughs> stick it on and peel it off. It's like silly putty prosthetics. And they use stupid words like surgical. So they have l- l- sticky rubber on their foreheads. So as the aliens are just cracking their <laughs> right. their fists against them that these these rubber things hanging are off coming off on archers and and, and and they say a word like they've been surgically altered and it's like uh, hang on a second who didn't catch that in the script because this is this isn't tng they weren't surgically no altered. actually i no i i think it was correct what they said because what they were saying is i think the reverse of how it sounds like you took it which was that these aliens thought that they had their heads had been surgically altered to be smooth, and then this other thing had been put on top so that oh, no one would you know, know. I never made that connection. I think that's well, what thank they Thank you meant. so much. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the prime directive part here because this is an episode that does lead us down the road towards the prime directive. And the episodes that I think people typically think of from Enterprise for the prime directive are like Dear Doctor where Archer has to decide whether to give medicine to the, these people on this planet or not. 
or cogenitor, which is not exactly a prime directive thing mm. in the same sense, but well, I guess both of them are similar because you're still dealing with races in both cases who have space travel capabilities and they know there are other worlds. That's where the prime directive gets kind of dicey. Like, does it apply only to pre-warp cultures or is it simply let's not screw around with other societies, which is more how I take it, less so than strictly only applying to pre-warp cultures. But so there's cogenitor where Trip feels like this person should have opportunities for education and such, and then she ends up, well, I say she, it's actually actually a third gender in the society ends up. I suppose it. Yeah, but I don't like calling sentient beings its or even animals for that that They. Let's use they. Use they. They they ended up up um, killing themselves, uh, committing suicide um, because of that. So those are two episodes which I think people typically think of. But this one also is very much because this one is, like we talked about earlier, all the ways you can screw things up and why you shouldn't do those things in the first place. So apart from what we've already talked about here, just tying this more closely to actually developing a prime directive how does this fall into place with other episodes within Star Trek? Let's 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 um, turn it around a little bit. There's an episode of uh, Star Trek TNG called "A Matter of Time," mm-hmm. when a guy from the past who pre- pretends to be from the future, Max Headroom, has had yeah. this wonderful conversation with with mm-hmm. Patrick in the ready room, and he says, "Of course, you know of the Prime Directive, which says we have no right to interfere with the natural course of evolution of an alien world." Yeah which I have always thought was the Prime Directive. That's my reading of the Prime Directive as well, yeah. It's not consistently presented that way, though, in Star Trek. That's the thing. It's it's not, but but I think what happens is, I think it's uh, uh, in the episode that Drumhead, this is where I'm really coming off as a geek, because I'm able to name (laughs) episodes and quotes. (laughs) That's what we do on the the, radio. In the episode, the Drumhead, um, Gene Simmons uh, is grilling uh, Captain Picard over the conspiracy on the enterprise. And uh, she says, are you familiar with the prime directive? And he says, yes. And she goes, it's, it's Starfleet general order number one. Right. So I guess, okay. So it's general order number one, which means it's probably something with sub paragraphs and all sorts of things. It's probably 300 pages. Probably. Yeah. It's probably, it's probably not. It just probably requires one sentence. 10 pads, a class stacked up, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At least because they can't keep anything with multiple pages on one. Right. Pad. Exactly. But you know, she, she says, uh, but you've violated the prime directive. So many times, seven times. Boy, it's a good thing that, that Data wasn't on Voyager and she wasn't having this conversation with Janeway. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I'm driving at with this is the prime directive is there and all these captains are constantly having to break it because it's obviously such a rigid rule. Right. And uh, you can't tell a story with such rigid right. rules. So you go back to, yeah, it's television, it's drama. So, you know, you have to tell a story which breaks the rules. Not even the fact that it's television, because, yeah, absolutely. But even if it weren't television in real life, that's sort of a difficult blanket statement to make. It, it's nothing is that clear cut. Some things might be clear cut, but they're not really clear cut. You can't have general order number one. Never, ever, ever do anything to get involved in an alien civilization. Yeah, and, and certainly don't tell them that your phaser is a toy 
or that you'll you'll look her up next time you're in the neighborhood. <laughs> right. <laughs> but they 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 go back in time to 1996. So does the then they then you start talking about the the prime directive is also the temporal prime directive. Yeah. So they they introduced that in Voyager and then they started talking about it like it'd been around forever. So maybe the prime directive is actually broken into, you know, uh, prime directive encountering species before warp drive prime directive involving time travel prime directive and then it's actually a, a general order number one is actually a multifaceted right. guidebook on how to interact in space we'll wait until the next series when we get the quantum prime directive an, is that for the singularity i don't know it's an evolution <laughs> like like photon torpedoes to quantum torpedoes there's you know you just tack the word quantum onto it and you got something new quantum sounds great though anything <laughs> quantum <laughs> they even used it in james bond and it made no sense quantum of solace <laughs> sounds like the name of a japanese band <laughs> japanese bands apparently like name a- themselves by writing random English words on pieces of paper, putting them into a hat and drawing them out at random. There's a band here called The, as in T-H-E-E, The Michelle Gun Elephant. Okay. Okay, exactly. That's what I, I think American bands do that too. Oh, do they? <laughs> some some of the crazy, you know, names they come up with. Like, um, I think one of them was like the Arctic Monkeys. Oh yeah, Arctic that's an monkeys. English band. I mean, that's a that's a crazy, but, crazy name. I, mean, I don't know. I can I can see some monkeys. You know, they like to live in the Arctic. That one's not as crazy as as elephants with guns or whatever that represents. <laughs> I don't know. Well, Matthew, what about you with the prime? directive here and how this episode fits in any thoughts on that uh tiptoeing um you know i think we've we've talked about about that all uh all evening and you know they're they're tiptoeing through uh stuff they should or should not be doing because they're so curious about stuff and then looking at do you the think gaps. they're tiptoeing or are they charging in well true true they're, i i do agree yes they're they're charging through and tiptoeing why am I saying tiptoeing? Because it's kind of like they're they're writing that book, they're they're writing that that prime directive as they're going, but they're taking their sweet time doing it because yeah. some of the some of the stuff that they're charging and doing, you'll see in, in future episodes that they're right. well, they they they're doing this again. Why have they not learned this before? And so they're they're kind of you know making mistakes, making mistakes, making mistakes, and then eventually near the end they'll go oh yeah we should probably write this up and i think right. there is an episode i'll ask the the encyclopedia uh to, to, <laughs> <laughs> if he recalls the, the exact episode that archer basically says it we are going to have a prime directive which is eventually we're going to have to come up with some sort of directive well, saying what we can and can't do it. i'm yeah. pretty sure that's in your doctor isn't it when he finally makes the decision with flocks I think it's when he's in the mess hall with Phlox talking to him about how he'd been up all night wondering if he should help them or not. Right. That's like the best, one of the best episodes they did of it. Oh yeah, it definitely is. There's an evolution in their thinking here, which maybe it, we're accustomed to the 24th century and our, our characters being used to being in space and dealing with alien cultures. And sometimes it's easy with Enterprise to forget that these people are out there for the first time. And so you see them doing things and you're screaming, why are you doing that? But 
we might make the same mistakes, but there's an evolution in their thinking where up to this point, they see contamination of an alien culture as being through tangible objects. Like we leave behind technology that they can then reverse engineer and they can sort of take a leap in their technological advancement before they're ready. And Paul sums up the entire episode just beautifully in one sentence. And she tells Archer, you don't have to leave technology behind to contaminate a culture. And it's not, not even just the line, but it's the way that Jolene Blaylock delivers the line as well. So, so softly and, and like it's so obvious. And yet you humans haven't figured this out yet, which is understandable, really. But then Archer comes to the realization that that yes, just by making contact with them in any way, we've already contaminated their culture. Now, it could be, like you said earlier, Sebastian, it could turn into this Area 51 kind of thing where no one believes what happened. But all those people who were there are affected. And even if no one believes them, this interaction is going to have an impact on the society. Well, the General Gosis, who was in command of that whole uh, army unit that had Archer and uh, Malcolm, uh, he would probably give a bunch of orders out saying, you're not to talk about this. You know, people would respect that, you know, following orders is important. And it would probably follow with some sort of threat as well. Like, you know, if you talk about this, you you and your family will meet a very quick and sudden end or suddenly have an accident you know and that that kind of stuff is these people are very resourceful they're they're smart uh they're gonna do those things they're going to work to prevent a um a contamination which they know would cause them a disadvantage in the war they're fighting and all that kind of stuff so i'm actually not too worried about the people on that planet i was more worried they they were going to kill them to find out more about them. I thought that mm-hmm. was really scary. I thought, oh my God, is that really a mirror? Would we kill them? That's terrible. Well, I think we would today. I mean, if we found aliens, well, at this point, yeah, they know like they're a different species. There's something about them. We have to know what it is. Um, certainly depending on which part of the world they found themselves in, I think, yeah, we we would kill them and dissect them and try to find out and, and uh, I think probably in the hands of pretty much any government in the world that is probably, or military in the world, any military, it would happen today. And what about the fact that they were going to allow themselves to be executed just for the purpose of being there? Well, that's that was an interesting bit for me because you see Archer as a leader and you see... Reed did his usual thing where he jumps to the worst case scenario and he starts feeling sorry for himself and oh my god I'm gonna die here he doesn't say it in those exact words but it's it's the same mood he got in in shuttle pod one and trip was like just man up you know stop this isn't helping us at all and Reed starts to go to that place again here a little bit but Archer as a leader realizes like we've potentially screwed up this alien culture and I'm willing to give my life to not do any further damage to them. Yes, but this is post-Minefield, uh, the episode where 
Reed was stuck to the outside of the ship and Archer saved mm-hmm. his life uh, with the mine. And I think that Reed had some evolution in his relationship with Jonathan Archer in that, in that episode. And this episode shows that they have that in their past. So he's like, you can I, feel that. I, yeah. I feel like mm-hmm. you can feel that. And when he says, you know, I'm not yeah. afraid captain. And you see Archer's face. I always say in my head, when I see that his, that shot, but I am, I, I, I feel like he says, I am, mm. I'm frightened, Interesting. but I'm not saying it because I, a good CO does not say when he is scared, yeah. but I think Jonathan Archer is actually frightened about what's going to happen. Interesting. Mm. I'll have to watch again and really watch for the, for the look. But that's just in my head. I, I think I would be the one who would be scared. <laughs> yeah, but it's a good point because I, I've noticed with the Blu-rays, especially with the TNG Blu-rays, because we're really seeing clarity for the first time in that, especially with Patrick Stewart, you can read a lot more into some of the episodes just based on what he does with his face that you really couldn't pick up on in the past. Hmm. Yeah. Any thoughts, uh, Matthew? No, I guess <laughs> I got to be honest. You guys covered covered a lot. I mean, <laughs> okay. uh, I think the the only the only thing I can cover on Reed is, and it, it shows. I actually I I saw this on this episode a lot. Is his image, his portrayal, and I've seen it because being a military person myself. And he, as you know, he is a military person. He is a military background. His father was. And yeah. all of his family was, and he is strict. He's on that strict way of thinking, doing, and acting. And but he's like you were saying, like just man up for God's sakes, come on, you know, like uh, stop, stop acting like you are in military, and do it. So, mm-hmm. and I think that's where he hits it. Can I ask you though, Matt? What in this episode? And I don't mean to. No, 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 no. Because I I love uh, you, you and yeah, <laughs> I feel the love I feel the love you know, I knew this was coming. <laughs> oh god, that, that can be the title of this episode. I love you, Matthew. Oh man, <laughs> signed Sebastian. No, but I, I don't mean to attack you. But what does Reed do that makes you feel like he is? being inappropriate he follows his captain's orders the less we say the better he says nothing when archer starts to say some stuff which is made up uh malcolm plays along a little bit and then when he says okay we're uh the only thing he's a little bit whiny about is his feet i think it's more uh, it's more of how he how he acts how how you know how he acts how he 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 moves around. I mean, he, he and you, and you know, it's, I don't know. It's, I'm trying to try, trying to, to explain it, but as, as a military person myself and, and seen a lot, I've seen it a lot where a lot of people are trying to be gun ho. And then when the time comes, ugh, they, they kind of slouch, right? They, 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 they kind of, and that's, I gotta be honest, not, not the feet stuff. Like, uh, I don't know. It's there's something that during during one of the scenes in, in the cell that uh, that just got me saying, "Man, you know, just just say it, just 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 man, like you know, like oh, we'll get sick to my tummy and all fall down." Yeah, okay, you know, been there, done that, got the t-shirt for it. Mm-hmm. But. Well, let's go to one last topic here before we wrap up, and this goes back to what happened after the episode ends because. I do think this is a story that demands a follow-up, and I don't know that we've ever gotten one. I'm not aware of one in the novels. Maybe we will one day. 
But what happens on this planet after they leave? Because I can see several courses of action. I can see that the people that interacted with Archer and Reed will fear the Alliance and will seek peace. So there could be a good outcome from this. It could lead the two sides to end the war and to make peace with one another. Or it could cause this side to develop powerful weapons of their own to fight against the Alliance, even though the Alliance doesn't actually have those powerful weapons, in which case Archer and Reed would have shifted the balance of power to the other side in a matter of speaking, not by giving them weapons, but by spurring them on. Or that scientific spur could lead to things like space travel so they can go find out if these really were aliens and if there's anyone out there. There are a lot of different possible outcomes here. Sebastian, how did you see those outcomes? Well, it's a really interesting question because these people are probably about, what, 1948 Yeah, like mid-20th century, it feels like, yeah. So, you know, they're kind of just World War II-ish. And if you think about it, what did we do next? We went to the moon. What would we have done differently if we'd had an evolutionary advantage? We probably would have gone to Mars. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they'd have taken one step further. So maybe instead of building a moon ship on this planet, they're going to build their first interplanetary exploration vessel. And that may be, you said there should be a follow-up. Maybe we should encounter it and we mm. should find out, you know, what there should be something. And there may be a a whole story that they will tell. Well, these people visited the planet, these He's strange, and it would be terribly romanticized. It would be different. It would be told from yeah, generation to yeah, generation, yeah. and it would change. And it would be so cool to find out what that story would actually end up being. And they'd be like, "No, no, no, that's nothing like what we were yeah. like when we came to your world." In the same way, they did that in a Voyager episode where they found they found something. I think it was a a computer box, and it had a copy of the Doctor. And they found a whole bunch of information about what they thought the Voyager was like. And they created a whole a whole universe in their holodeck of what the Voyager was like. And I think that's the kind of result they could have from this society. That almost sounds like the end of First Contact, the episode where she says like stories will be told and, you know, it'll mm. change over time. Yeah. Mm. Well, to me, to me, looking at at this entire episode, the one thing that always throughout the episode came to mind was Area Fifty One, Area Fifty One, Area Fifty One, and then when when we reach to the end, where Archer just goes in, picks up everything, comes out, and and then starting thinking about aftermath, what would be interested to to go back and see what happened and all that. I don't, I I gotta be honest, I think the aftermath would actually be a area 51 type where yeah, nothing happened. You know, there was nothing here. Nothing came by because mm-hmm. he took everything. Now, obviously we never know if they never have, if they actually made copies, made other, other photos, pictures or whatever, which may have been the case. I mean, area 51, I'm pretty sure we can find a whole slew of stuff in there. Uh, which will probably relate to Ferengi's, but uh, <laughs> in the end, I, I I honestly think that uh, because of the time frame and the 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 intricacies of these aliens looking at Archer and Reed 
and these these artifacts that they had in their hands and trying to figure out what was going on, looking at the x-rays and stuff. I don't think it actually ever came into their minds to say, you know what, we should be taking pictures. We should be taking taking uh, taking down the test beyond the testing of the, the face pistol, but testing everything and charting down how it works and trying to decipher it. I don't think they had the time or the, the thought or they actually maybe maybe they even even they thought in their heads oh we have time we'll have time to to decipher uh, uh take these yeah. apart right so but i think that because of that time frame it's an aftermath to this episode would actually be an area yeah. 51 for me well I, I think they couldn't build them i mean they didn't have enough time they didn't have possession of them long enough they would it would take that culture years and years oh, yeah. to reverse engineer oh, yeah. that but but it could spur them to invest resources into developing those types of weapons mm -hmm. and then they might have them a century before they otherwise would yep. have so that could yep. impact all right well let's wrap up here with our final thoughts on the communicator sebastian do you have any final thoughts and what's your rating for the episode well, uh, I think uh, Matt was talking before about Area 51. These people are, you know, going to continue. They're strong. They're they're kind of like us. They are a mirror of us. So I'm, I'm not too worried about them. So I think everybody learned a lesson. And it's a great Star Trek Gene Roddenberryan kind of lesson. And it's a great episode. And I really enjoyed it uh, because I like seeing the tech. I like seeing them holding face pistols, especially when I was younger and I used to build them and, the, and, and love that used stuff. Used to build face so pistols. Is, <laughs> I did. <laughs> That's another story. Uh, but uh, I, I liked seeing the close-ups of the cool stuff and I like the military. I've always been into the military. So uh, the whole episode just kind of did it for me as a Star Trek episode. So I'd give it, um, am, am I doing it out of 10 or out, out of, of five? Any uh, unspecified number usually. <laughs> so, so out of 10 yellow x-rays we'll give this one uh seven and a half okay seven and a half so archer ripped one as he was running away and it fell to the floor <laughs> yeah and they found it and it just happened to be the one with the redundant renal okay <laughs> very good <laughs> well matthew how about you what are your final thoughts on the episode well, it was a very good episode. A lot of stuff, like we were saying about the prime director of the initials, you know, what they should, should not be doing. They ha had a lot of humor in there, a lot of s goofs. Uh, <laughs> it's traditional pre-TOS uh, stuff that you would expect would happen pre-Prime Directive, pre-TOS, right? And just n the nature of the beast being so right. curious so uh, I'm going to give it the, about uh, eight communicators on 10. All right. Eight lost yeah. communicators, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, for me, I really enjoy this episode because it shows the naivety of the crew as they're out there in deep space for the first time. And they're doing things that they really shouldn't be doing. They're rushing into situations without really thinking about it. And T'Pol is kind of being hands-off, kind of like the parent letting children make mistakes so they can learn mm. as long as they don't screw things up too badly. But but even she does something, as I mentioned in the discussion, yep. that she really yeah. shouldn't have done, which is paging them on an open channel <laughs> to the communicator. But yep. she was generally, I think, 
the way she interacted with Hoshi, for example, I think showed, you know, some growth in their relationship too. She was gentle with her, you know, do your best. Even though I think T'Pol would have liked to have probably done what you mentioned earlier, beam them up and get the hell out of there. <laughs> yeah. And don't look back is probably, well, she would have preferred they never put on the stick on mm-hmm. prosthetics in the first place and went down there. I, I can see yeah. before this episode T'Pol trying to talk them out of this. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like, are you serious? You want to go down there? Like, come on. <laughs> You're really going to do that? You think that's a good idea? All right. I warned you. Yeah. <laughs> that that makes the scene at the end even stronger, right? Where she says. Yeah. Yeah. That shouldn't have gone there. That's right. Oh, well. Learn your lesson now. Exactly. <laughs> and the there are a couple of things in here, too, that connect it to TOS for me. There's a great bar fight scene. Just like the mm. original series. You know, we don't get those bar fights later on in Star Trek. No, we don't. And it, now that you're talking about it, I'm having it, I'm picturing it in my mind. And it's exactly like Trials and Tribulations. And if you look at that bar, that scene, that fight scene, and this one in, in The Communicator, one, hey, almost similar. I can, you can definitely transpose oh, yeah. both and go, oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. That that's the That's the fight that it reminds me most of. It also reminded me a little bit, tying it back to the fact that this is sort of a follow-up to a piece of the action, Kirk escaping after Fizbin and run, running out, you know, a little bit right there. So great stuff here. The The cloaked ship coming down was, was interesting, but I'm like <laughs> pulling my hair out. Like, what are you guys doing here? And I mean, what an opportunity to, in a fight like that, for a barrel roll. Tapol actually does a barrel roll as she yes, comes out. That's of the right. Clip that's ship. right. So I'm glad they took advantage of that opportunity there. I would have been very disappointed if they had missed out on that. So this is a great prime directive episode and and great conversation between Archer and Tapol at the end. So I'm gonna give this episode seven cloaked arms. Well, Sebastian, thanks for joining us today. If people want to talk Star Trek with you and find out what else you're doing, where should they go? Uh, Well, you can look me up on Twitter. I'm fairly active on there all of a sudden. Um, At Sebastian Pruth. Um, If you need help spelling that, I'm sure it will be in the show notes. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks again, Sebastian. Thanks so much for your time and for having me on the show. And I hope everyone enjoys The Communicator. Well, it was an awesome uh, show tonight, uh, talking with uh, Sebastian Pruth about The Communicator. Really, really fun and uh, good insight on this Prime Directive type show. Yeah, I bet it was interesting for you guys to talk about it together on the show, too, because you work together on the Continuing Mission Radio audio yep. drama. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Sebastian's my boss uh, on that one and uh, and other ventures that we're, we're, uh, we're exploring right now. But uh, yeah, it's it's always fun to uh, to talk Star Trek at with your, yourself as well as as Sebastian, uh, especially Sebastian. This he's an encyclopedia. Uh, <laughs> he, really I, is, yeah. he he is, and and I, I gotta be honest, it was really fun for him to 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 get me on on uh, on that little thing, uh, the snippet there. And he does that on a regular basis, and I just enjoy <laughs> I just enjoy it. Sometimes it's kind of like ah, you know, but uh, no, no, it's it's all done in fun and and I really love talking Star Trek with uh, with Sebastian. It's really really cool. 
Yeah, it's great. Well, the communicator isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network this past week, though. So here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. With the Slushoverse, a lot of people are wondering, is JJ going to stick Slusho into Star Wars? <gasps> Earl Grey. It's like Leroy Jenkins, you know, he comes running in. <laughs> Sir, there's another starship entering the zone. It's the Enterprise! <laughs> the Enterprise! <laughs> the Orb. But the, here's the thing, they put themselves in a box with Dax. It's such a cool sci-fi concept to say that the symbiont is the 300-year-old slug and the outer host body, you know, they're, they're mixed together. And that the, the host changes from the... The Ready Room. Because, I mean, what's the alternative? If you're, if you're not going to do what, what Chris just suggests, I mean, what's he going to do? Get down on his knees and say, oh, emissary, I'm with you now? I mean, <laughs> right, that's right. not really going to work either, right? So Allow me to, to ride my flaming chariot back to Starfleet. To the journey! I am genuinely excited for this week's episode because we are doing a commentary on Threshold. Yes, you heard that right. Threshold, the infamous episode that everybody loves to hate, but I love to love it. Warp 5. But the fact that they had been in so many other shows before, that they literally were pulling footage from Voyager to help flesh out that episode, I think it's sort of like it's a it's an Easter egg and it's a theme and it's also literally pulling out of another show. Commentary, Trek stars. I feel like he always had the sense that the younger generation had a, a much clearer sense of what the future was going to be like than, than sort of the, the previous one. Melodic Treks. And his theme come on, and I just thought brilliantly tied in with the original series because these were the original series characters, but it was giving it a movie feel. And he just did a brilliant job on his composition. Continuing mission. We have had long discussions in the office about how we can get an appropriate chair sitting simulator into the game. Unfortunately, that's such a specific system that would really only be used by Riker. Literary treks. And then she leads him back to her place and says, Welcome back to my place. It's a good place to be together. And Kirk says, Together is good. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You'll find them everywhere you get your podcasts. And you can go to our website and stream from the webpage. And you can also grab the RSS link if you want to pop that into a third-party app. And if you're over in iTunes or on Stitcher, don't forget about our reviews promotion. Review any of our shows on iTunes and or Stitcher between now and July 31st, and you'll get an entry into a drawing for those great prizes that I talked about in news, Blu-rays, DVDs, official Starship Collection ships, novels, and art badges. And all you need to do to enter is to leave a review and then go to trek.fm slash review and let us know where you left the review and which shows you reviewed and you'll be entered into the drawing. And remember that you can review as many shows as you want. All the shows that you listen to, you can review both on iTunes and Stitcher and each one of those will count as an entry. And also I should point out, because this came up, you can review the master feed as well. So if you've reviewed the Ready Room in the past, go leave a review of the master feed because that will count also. So thanks in advance for doing that and helping us out in that way. And we look forward to hearing from you. And we thank you for your support. 
Now, if you would like to leave us feedback on today's show, there are a number of ways that you can get in touch with us. You can find us on Twitter. Our username is TrekFM. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash TrekFM. On Google+, just search Communities for Trek.FM and you'll find us there. And we also have a contact form at trek.fm slash contact. Just choose to leave a message for a show and choose the ready room, and that will come to me by email. You can also send us a voicemail through the website if you prefer to do that. Now, Matthew, when you're not working on the next great audio drama, where can people find you? Well, they can find me on um, Twitter now. It's uh, at Captain, C-A-P-T, Blondin, B-L-O-N-D-I-N, all together. And that's where they can find me. They can find me on Facebook. And that's it. Okay, great. And also, the audio drama that you're working on, where where can people find that? Well, uh, they can find the Star Trek, uh, the continuing mission on www.startrekcontinuingmission.com. I am also working with a great team at uh, Star Trek Excelsior. Uh, we're right now, uh, post-production of episode 403 and we're in production of 402. Kind of a bit backwards, but, uh, it works. That's uh, how it works usually. Yeah. Though, oh, yeah. Or yeah, often def- anyway. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and that one, they can find us at starshipexcelsior.com. Uh, so those are two. Uh, shortly, there's going to be a one that I'm going to be producing uh, with Sebastian's help, and as well as the great fellows, uh, great actors out and and production team out in at uh, Star Trek Excelsior, which is going to be tailored around the Mirror Universe. And that's oh, going to be, yeah, and that's going to be, you can find that uh, shortly on Star Trek MirrorUniverse.com. For Star Trek, that is all the audio dramas that I'm working on. Excellent. Well, that's a lot. <laughs> oh, it, it is. It is. Sounds like you're staying about as busy as I am. Everyone laughs at how busy I am all the time. And also, you've been, as I mentioned at the beginning, you've been editing some of our shows here on the network. Yep. So really appreciate the help on that as well. It's my pleasure. I love I love working with you, working with the, everybody else on Trek FM. Uh, I've, I love the, the, the podcast and I love just the... the, the 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 fact of you guys having me around and uh, helping you guys out it's really interesting well we we appreciate it very very much well if you would like to find me you can also find me on twitter my username is c brian jones the letter c and brian with a y i'm also on facebook facebook.com slash c brian jones and i have my own website as well c jones.com and then elsewhere on the network you'll find me on a lot of different shows uh, quick rundown title only this time so i can get through this quickly the orb Warp 5, Continuing Mission, Matterstream, Hyper Channel, and Literary Treks, where Matthew and I, not you, Matthew, but Matthew Rushing and I, Mm -hmm. talk about Star Trek books and comics, and we interview authors. So catch all those shows if you would like to find out more. And you can actually sample them by subscribing to the Trek FM Complete Master Feed. That has every episode of every show we do in one feed there. A great way to find out what all the different hosts are talking about. Well, before we close out, I'd like to remind you about a couple of things. Our sponsor, audible.com. You can get a free audiobook of your choice just by trying Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. If you decide not to stick with Audible, you get to keep that book, so there's nothing to lose. But by trying Audible, you're really helping us keep the ready room coming to you every single week. So go try them out. I promise you're going to love them. Again, audibletrial.com slash trekfm 
is the URL, and we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. And also check out TrekFan at fm.trekfan.org. Take your love for Star Trek and put it into action. Learn new things, collaborate with other fans, take the communications, the engineering, or the flight operations qualifications. Get a free novel through Starfleet Academy. Find out everything they have there. It's a great way for you to really, really put your love for Star Trek into action. FM.trekfan.org. And we really thank them for their support of the show and the network as well. Well, Matthew, that's all we have for this week. I'm going to wander back down to the planet for a minute because I'm afraid that Archer may have dropped something and I don't want to leave anything behind. Perfect. So it's time to stick a cloak bullet hole in the hand in it because Ready Room is done. Ready Room.